You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 211. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about the future of project management. Because here's the deal. Nothing ever stays the same. Project management, as we now call it, has been an innate human talent. Recently, we've wrapped all sorts of rules and processes around it because software ate the world. But the truth is, What we think of as real project management is just a well-honed talent for critical thinking. The required skills are observation, forward testing for consequences, and backward test to ensure people agree with you. AI, artificial intelligence, is on track, though, to eliminate all of the administrative aspects of a project manager's job in the very, very near future. The question is, what's left over when AI does take over the world? Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by Planisware. Planisware is a global provider of SaaS solutions that break the boundaries of traditional project portfolio management by connecting people, strategy, finance, application, and products. With over 20 years of experience, Planisware helps organizations take plans from vision to reality and make an impact. Planisware's turnkey solution, Orchestra, helps PMOs drive early to mid-maturity companies to achieve world-class excellence. Planisware Enterprise, an advanced PPM suite, accelerates mature enterprises toward data unification to cohesively and strategically develop their project portfolio. Lead the way along with over 500 other organizations that trust Planisware. Learn more at planisware.com. That's P-L-A-N-I-S-W-A-R-E.com. Okay, let's dive in. We're talking critical thinking, AI, and the future of project management. Now with me here today is my dear, dear friend, Donna Fitzgerald. Donna managed her first IT program more than a decade before the 1996 version of the PMBOK was published. In the mid-90s, she became active in the nascent agile development community. That's right, in the mid-90s, everyone, and later wrote for Tech Republic as the Nimble PM. In 2007, she joined Gartner's equally nascent Project Portfolio Management Research Group, where she spent 10 years. She's the founder of Nimble PM and probably the most opinionated person that I know when it comes to project management. She even has me beat, which is a tall order, as you know, Impact Driver. While she's occasionally accused of being an iconoclast, her commitment to helping PMs deliver successful projects and programs has never wavered. Donna, thank you so much for being here, my dear, dear friend. It's just so wonderful to be able to share you with all of our impact drivers from all over the world. Thank you, thank you. Well, thank you for asking me. You know, it's always a pleasure. Oh, of course. I'm thrilled to have you. And 
from somebody that has so much experience, so many decades of experience across all of these different industries has been with Gartner and helping to shape the future. I just think it's really cool to be able to share your perspective about this next wave of change that's coming and how it affects project management because you've seen different waves of change happen over time. And it's been very interesting to you and I to brainstorm and talk about like where we've been, what's coming, and maybe some of the vicious cycles you see us getting into in the project management space as well. Well, the key thing I was realizing in 2015, I published a note at Gartner about mm -hmm. the impact of artificial intelligence on the future of work. Because I'm future oriented, right. that hit really early. 2015, it was all there, but that's like standing out in the wilderness and saying to people, it's coming, it's coming. Mm -hmm. In the last year or so, we've reached the point where AI has gone from, yeah, 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 hype, nothing to where we've been working on this for 20 years. It is starting to come together. Yeah. And that's going to put us in a cyclical curve. The key here is, and a little bit of the history of project management, back in, and I will admit this, I managed my first large project in 1979. Wow. I was 12. I'm going to say that. I was so you were not even born yet, obviously. Yes, 1979. <laughs> there was nothing. There was something called SDM 70, which was Software mm -hmm. Development Methodology 70, mm -hmm. that was for coding. And other than that, I made Gantt charts with colored pencils mm. on 13 column graphic paper. Oh my gosh, that's These awesome. are real stories. There was no yeah. software, there was no nothing. So I'm somebody who I made it all up. I learned to talk to people because they're always brilliant people surrounding you, and that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I had good gut instincts because who on earth hires somebody at 27 years old to run Intel's major IT project for the entire company? At wow. But the point was no one else would be stupid enough to work that hard. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so the key is I've seen things come in waves. There's always opportunities at the front end. There's lots of jobs in the middle. Then it falls off and then there's new opportunities. Where we are is we're now in the next cycle. So basically we had the rise of software, which was from the seventies through 2000. Right. Then in the nineties to the 2000s, we had process re-engineering. Now, mm -hmm. I once had lunch with Tom Davenport, who was the third of the Champion Hammer group. They just were writing. They were academic. They knew we didn't have the IT technology to do the automation. But this gave companies the right to lay off. Now, I was in Silicon Valley, so we didn't see it quite as bad as it was in the East Coast. Right. But they laid off every middle manager. Now, guess where those middle managers were? 
Yeah, I know where they were because I was on the East Coast when all this was going on. <laughs> they got their little PMP. Yeah. And they went right back to work, middle managing. Yeah. What years was that all happening? That was from 1990 through 2000. Yeah. And yeah, what that was, that was 2000 was Y2K. So yeah. it would yeah. have been a, a wasteland if Y2K had forced hiring lots of people. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. that. Yeah, that's when I was part of the Y2K work. I built my first PMO back in 1999. Okay. And I didn't have my PMP back then. I didn't get mine until I was 2004. But I remember... Like I didn't have that many years of project management experience when I was hired to be a project manager for the first time, like at a new company, right? I got a job in this dot-com insanity that was going on and was managing projects. And then all of a sudden they were like, okay, we need to be able to see across all of these projects that we're managing and we need things to move faster because all these brick and mortar stores wanted things yesterday. And it was just total chaos. And I built my first PMO and I had no idea what I was doing, but I remember what things were like back then. Like, it seems like everybody was moving so fast that it was like, poof, you're a project manager. And then like, poof, you're a PMO leader. And we couldn't just Google how to set up a PMO like you can today and get like 10 million results. A lot of us were having to figure things out the hard way back then. So I remember very clearly all of the chaos that was going on around that time. Well, but Laura, you hit the key. You figured it out. Yeah. And for our discussion here, I want to keep coming back to the fact that you are who you are today because you looked at something that there were no answers to. Yeah, I didn't have the answers. I can go figure this out. So Mm -hmm. when I talk about critical thinking, Mm-hmm. Critical thinking is what allows any individual to say, I don't know the answer. I, and I is a very important word here because mm-hmm. it's got to be internal. I can go figure out how to figure it out. Yes. And once you get that in process, I mean, we could go through, this is how we create teams. This is how we create connections. This is how we build stakeholder engagement. What people have lost sight of is everything we wrote down for the PIMBOK and everything else. There were always a group of it who just did it because that's how we're wired. Yeah, and- that's 100% me. Yep. Now, what I want to be very careful about is statistically, and the numbers vary, there's probably between 15 and max 30% who have the neurocognitive wiring that this is compulsive. They can't not do it. Uh, They can't not figure it out. They have to go figure it out. That's totally me. It's it's compulsive. I have to know how things work. Listen, I used to drive my grandparents crazy because we would go spend time at their house and anything that was electronic or machinery. I remember this old antique clock, everything that stopped working, we took apart, figured it out and got it working. Still got in trouble for taking apart antiques, but we would get them working because we had to figure it out. And I think there's something interesting in the term used of compulsory, like we must go figure things out. I think you definitely have that as well. 
For sure. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm the one who at 10 fired the director of the children's summer theater group and said, you don't understand how to get these kids to do what they want. You go stand in that corner and I'll take over. Oh, wow. I mean, wow. yeah, impulsive, that's my history. But the key is, I don't know how large a population the universe could support of people like us. It's, a, it's smaller than the whole population. But there's going to be plenty of opportunities when we start talking with critical thinking is people who do connections, the neurocognitive, I need to find the pieces, pull them together, get them going. They are not necessarily deep enough thinkers to get everything fitted with precision. Mm -hmm. So I want to be very, very clear that when we start, AI is going to get rid of all the routine. Mm. The non-creative routine stuff. Mm -hmm. That's going to lead to opening. The people who can bring people together to create something and the people who can actually make sure the work is good. Mm. They're both incredibly valuable and what we now consider project management is going to bifurcate. One of the things, and I'm gonna ask you this question, how often have you told, heard people tell you that they don't manage people, they just manage a project? Oh gosh, all the time. They say that their job is to manage work, manage projects. And I'm like, mm, that's actually not your job. <laughs> yeah, well, let's be blunt because we promised that I would be blunt. Yes. Um, oh, you are blunt. And that's what I love about you. Let's do it. You won't have a job. Yeah, right. If I will sign that one in blood. If you think today that project management is managing a project without regard to people, Right. AI is come to take your job and you've got sure. to figure out what else you want to do. Right. That's it. I can't be more blunt. Donna, I couldn't agree more. This is something that I've been saying for a long time. I mean, so many project managers are considered administrative overhead, box checkers, just handling the meetings and scheduling and administrivia of a project. And that's not where their value is. And that's why I talk about shifting to become an impact driver, which is all about bringing people with you through the change process and really embracing the role of leading people through change as opposed to checking boxes off a list. And recently when I spoke at the University of Maryland Project Management Symposium, I had this really cool, I'll have to give you access to the whole, actually Kendall has on his podcast, the whole back and forth interview and debate between myself and Crystal Richards. Oh, she was such a treat. You'll appreciate this. She took the process first and I took the principles first kind of approach, right? We were talking about how the pivot had changed and she was like, well, this is why you must follow a process and define your process first and follow process first. And I'm like, yeah, but the problem is, is you could be doing the completely wrong process if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing and really understanding the business problems you're trying to solve. We've talked about this a million times, right? So I bring that up because- it was interesting. One of Crystal's arguments was, well, but if you're newer in project management, then you don't know or feel comfortable asking why you're doing the project, or you don't feel like 
you know what to do. So it's better to have a process you can follow step by step. And my argument was, uh uh-uh, if you want to be replaceable, if you want to be expendable, if you want to be seen as administrative overhead, you worry about checking those boxes. Whereas the people that are the future, and I bet this is where you're going to get into, play different roles in their organization. So let's talk about that a little. What are the top roles you expect project managers to play into the future, especially with the impact of AI and automation and all of the ways that we can streamline and optimize all the administrivia? Where are they going to be providing value? In some ways, I would like to eliminate the term project manager. So when we started in Agile, obviously Mm -hmm. we got the Agile manifesto. Mm -hmm. And the next thing that happened was a group of 25 of us got together to write the Declaration of Interdependency, which outlined the business aspects. It never caught on, but it was always very clear to us that Agile was a mindset. It was a way to make change. So what we're really talking about is that we have problems. The universe is filled with problems. Yeah. It is our job to go solve them. I want to tell a story. So as of last month, I've been married for 25 years. And my dear loving husband got dragged on our honeymoon to a project management conference. Oh my gosh. Why does that not surprise me that on your honeymoon, you dragged him to a project management conference. That just says so much for all of you impact drivers listening about Donna and her commitment to this profession. I wouldn't even have done that, my love. (laughs) Dragged him to PM conference. I'm delivering a speech on complex adaptive systems theory and project management, all the stuff I used to do at the beginning of time. And this charming young man came up to me after the presentation and asked me the telltale question. Oh. How did you get permission to do all those things you did to be successful? (laughs) I already know the answer. My jaw just dropped. I stood there, honestly, no exaggeration, dumbfounded, going, what do you mean permission? What on earth are you talking about? They hired me. They pay me money. I am an expert. Right. Why do I need permission to do my job? That Well, what a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Now, some people hear that as egotistical driver stuff. No. But that's not it. What I bring is gut instinct, a second sense of what's going on. I mm-hmm. do management by walking around like a religion, because it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. My first job in industry, my boss had an expression, and he used to pull out his earlobes and say, Donna, your job is to talk to the engineers using long earlobes. Imagine mm-hmm. elephant ears. Best advice I ever got in my life. I go talk to all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. And the more I talk to them, the more I hear. When I was running a large program at Harvard, I had to meet with all the different Harvard colleges. And I was meeting with one group and I don't know what we were talking about. But as I walk out with one of the Harvard employees, I say, has the lawsuit been filed yet? And she said, what? I said, well, she was hinting around stuff. 
-hmm. And the answer is this, 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 and there's going to be a lawsuit filed any day now, I assume. And she said, mm -hmm. yeah, it was filed yesterday. That's what we now call a project manager does. So all of a sudden, something that nobody's admitting is a risk, nobody's admitting a problem, everybody's doing the dance that says, if I ignore it, yeah, we got an elephant in the room. What's our problem? Mm -hmm. Now, that is a specific kind of skill. Not everyone has that skill. That's actually neurocognitive brain wiring. You could learn a lot and be good at it, but it's not natural to everybody. Interesting. So that's one of the uses. And traditionally, that's what we used to call project manager and what we wanted to call project leader because we're talking a team. Everyone has a function. Right. Some people go deal with management. When I was doing a program, I did Larry Ellison's top IT program at Oracle one year. And I had people who outranked me on the org chart working for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, does this make you feel anything that you're working for me? He said, do you think I want to go meet with that SVP of engineering? Do you right. think I want to take those phone calls? You go do your job. I'll do right. my job. Right. That's the key of the future. Now, Willis was the most brilliant DB, Oracle DBA on the planet. He knew things due to a problem with the project we found out. He knew things that the people who wrote the software originally didn't even know. Willis has a role on projects. There are many, many unbelievable experts who can think, analyze, get down to the bottom, by the way, we were shut down for three weeks. Willis got off the boat from Alaska. Took us 10 minutes to get up, all problem solved, because Willis knew what to say. That's the world. That's the world we're coming into, where it's not routine. You can't manage paperwork. You can't check boxes because there's no need for it. And what I want to bring up here is why would you want to? Right. What nurtures your soul? And I know we're business people, but we're human beings. If right. we're going to show up at work and give our best effort, then I think everybody deserves to feel good and personally rewarded by the work they're doing. You should feel that you're helping that you're growing your company. Now, I want, there are a whole, we could get into a black hole. So trust me on this. I know everything that's wrong, but I'm trying to paint an optimistic picture of the future because right. I knew when I started a program that I was going to deliver it come hell or high water or, right. and I'm the queen of this, I got hired to kill things. Right. I didn't care if I was killing it for the best of the company or delivering it for the best of the company. Right. But whichever way it worked out, I could take care of the people. Yeah. Because it's the people who matter. There is no such thing as a project without people. Right. Exactly. There's, there's no such thing. There's something really interesting that you're talking about here. I just want to kind of really reinforce some of the points you're making so that people are taking it away. And if anyone's multitasking, come back to us now. You really need to write this stuff down. 
The things that Donna's talking about here are not new, but they are inescapable now, right? They are the way project management is going, period. In the past, especially in bigger organizations, you could get away with the administrative focus. You could get away with the box checking. You could have people on your team whose job it was to fill out templates and forms and put data into a project management tool and create fancy reports and all those things. Most of that will be replaced. Most of that is going away. And bigger organizations are gonna get rid of that stuff even faster. As soon as they figure out how, they're gonna do that. And those kinds of jobs will go away. But the kind of things that you're talking about here, Donna, with respect to asking forgiveness, not permission, about under which is like something that is in both of our DNA and we are well known in the industry and in our careers as being troublemakers, but also we were sought after when we were in organizations, right? For that very reason. I don't think it's ego or, or negative ego. I don't think it's unreasonable to say, I am the expert they hired to do this. I'm going to go do it. And I think that is perfectly reasonable. And I really feel like people need to stop asking for permission to do their darn job. And that is part of the challenge we have. There's so much fear. And I think it's not in a lot of places, it's very real fear. So I don't want to Mm -hmm. diminish the fear people have with economic changes, with organizational changes, with traditional PMO folks seeing agile coming in as a threat instead of an opportunity. Organizations are in a constant state of flux right now. Even the big steady ones, the leaders in those organizations see change coming and they're looking to take advantage of it. Most of them, most of the smart ones. So change will be coming. And I believe this creates an opportunity for people to step into more of a leadership role and do the things like ask for forgiveness instead of permission, understand that they're there to bring people through change, look for ways to streamline and optimize and automate so that they can do the really valuable work. You touched on something really important, Donna, when you were talking about understanding that part of your role was to kill projects. And the reason you were able to do that is that you did not define your success by on time, on scope, on budget. You did not find success or define yourself as valuable because of a certification or because of steps in a process or because of the triple constraint. Instead, you defined your value the way the executives at that organization defined your value and their value which is how do we help this organization achieve the highest ROI for the strategy? And when something isn't in alignment with that, you cut it and you cut it fast and you cut it with precision and you make it go away and you figure out a way to reallocate those resources quickly. And that's what you're talking about here is that you knew that your job was not to save the project, it was to save the company. And that shift in thinking is, that's what we're talking about here. That is the valuable role for PMO leaders, for project managers in the future. Laura, that's so interesting because you're reflecting back. I started my career in finance. Right. And not the kind of finance some people have done. I mean, I was totally responsible for making sure that the money we were investing in new product development kept our company Mm -hmm. alive. Right. 
That meant I knew what everybody was doing. I talked to them. I had a staff of 25 back when no one in finance had that staff because right. every one of my people was a contact. So good example, I'm talking to one of the managers. He had a very expensive ASIC run. And I said, how did it go? He said, well, the first one failed. And I said, so there's another 450,000 in the budget. And then your project's done, right? And I'm staring at it. And he says, no, Donna. And I said, okay, I know that, you know that, but you were gonna lie about it. So oh. now we don't have to lie about it. Now I will tell Dennis, our executive, that we're gonna spend another 450,000 and I will go figure out where the money is. Right. Now that he, uh, he was not wrong because his project was going to have to spend another 450,000. That is engineering reality. He was wrong because he was going to lie about it. Yeah. But that was my job. He was not upset that I called him on it. I was not upset at him for lying. It's a ritual act of we're in safe space. We can true up because we're all working for the same outcome. Right. And I wonder. Project management got so big and so routine that it almost felt paper pushing. I never, I'm very, when I was running things, I only took mission critical do or die work mm -hmm. because I'm going to kick people in the shins. I'm going to tell the truth. <laughs> yes, I, I actually are. got called for verbally kicking a senior vice president in the shins. And my boss said, why do you do that? You're so polite to accounts payable clerks. I said, he gets paid gazillions of dollars. He's right. being a horse's ass. That's not true of the accounts payable clerk. And I said, so what did you say to him? He said, I told him to shut up and do what you told him to do. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Awesome. But there's something to that. We're talking about these roles that project managers need to play in the future. And I see this as part of that, right? The bravery required to step up and out of a to-do list and instead do the hard work, the valuable work of enabling and mobilizing people to get things done. Yes. Right? But isn't that why we do this? Oh my gosh, it's the only where our heart yeah. is. Yeah. That's the only interesting thing about it, right? I mean, listen, my life is like a constant Gantt chart running in my head. I have Gantt's all day long with everything I do because it's how my brain is wired to think about work and break it down and get things done. And I do it in all of our businesses. I do it in my personal yep. life. You and I were talking before we started this about the crazy travel schedule we have this summer with business, with our son's travel baseball team. Like I'm hardly home. There is a Gantt chart going on at all times, trying to fit it all in. And yet I know that the only way any of those things happen personally, professionally, all the different things is if I'm doing change with people and through yes. people and not to people. It's exactly. that simple. What we were doing was, and the current state of agile breaks my heart. Anybody who knows where I am understands that we went into factory agile. Mm -hmm. 
And all we do is produce software. DevOps, what I'm not arguing about how best to do software, but software used to produce a unique product to right. make a specific change. And then we started delivering software as a product. Now, software is going to change. By the way, we haven't even discussed that some of those developers are losing their jobs. Yeah. So software, if you look at various eras of automation, we will be moving out of the big software. Mm -hmm. that day is ending somewhere because I'm always early. So it could be 20 years out before we're permanently out, but it is ending. So now when you go back to human beings, human beings do creative things by change. And as we do creative things, we have to build the infrastructure and the support systems behind them. That's what we do. If you take off the word, we used to just manage, damn it. Yeah. I mean, my husband just used to manage. That's what he did. That's what they paid him to do. Solve customer problems, get his team where they're supposed to be, work minor miracles. Now, let's go back to critical thinking. Critical thinking says, I don't take anything on faith. I check everything, not as a checkbox, but as does this make sense? Another article I wrote was Six Impossible Things Before Breakfast. Right. If you cannot believe Six Impossible Things Before Breakfast, you're in the wrong profession because one of those impossible things, guess what? It's the right one but you may have to model it out. LinkedIn actually asked me to write something on systems theory because what's connected? What's the stock? What's the flow? What goes in? What goes out? What happens if this happens? What are the outer lying things that can come in? You carry the Gantt chart. I carry the constellation in my head. So I have all these thousands of things going. Is that beeping? Is that turning red? Is that turning green? And then if something goes red, I don't worry about the schedule. I go figure out what to do now, yeah. how to replan, how to schedule. The whole concept of baselining a schedule to me, I've never done it in my life, but I've told people they can go get stuck because I will keep an end date and I will replan every week. Mm. I've yeah. always done it. Yeah, me too. It's a movie because it's, what is it? No plan survives the first 10 minutes of battle or whatever. Yeah, you know, no, no plan survives engagement with the enemy. And mercy, yes. people have forgotten that we get up to do battle with mercy. Every day. Every all day long. single day, all day. Murphy is there with his fork. Oh, can't see me as I'm making fork motions, but that's what we do. Right. And so I how think it's fun. Of course it's fun. It's fun for you and I because we're troublemakers, right? But is that what we're talking about here? Is that really where the future project management is going? It seems to be beyond project management, but just focused on project management PMOs and strategy delivery teams and transformation groups and the folks that are listening to this podcast. Is this really wide sweeping across all of these roles? This yeah, it will eventually will professional troublemaker. We'll go back to a long time ago in a world far away, you 
had an occupation. You were in finance, you were in development, you were in this, within that. You knew something about something. Mm -hmm. And if you were a professional troublemaker, i.e. you were incapable of not making change, they'd let you run a small project. If no one murdered you and you delivered the outcome, they'd put you back in your day job with a promotion. Mm -hmm. And you'd go do that for a while. And then there'd be a big project because by then they thought you were worthy of executive track. This is how I got to be a CFO. So I actually lived this. And they'd hand you a program. And if you could survive that, now this was really important because you had to deal with every executive. You had to know everybody. They had to know you. And this was really being afraid. Are you one of us? Are you a contributor? to our company? Are you somebody that we, the executives, can approach whenever we need to find you to do specific things where we could use help? Are you on our personal team? And if you survived that, you got the next level promotion. Yeah, that's something that's really important to point out here is the executives are looking for those kind of people in the organization always. They're always looking for those shining bright stars of people they can pull into the inner circle to ask questions, to help them solve problems, to take their pain points away. And if you are constantly following the rules and the hierarchy and the checklist, they don't see you as one of those people that are one of them. And they're looking for the others of them to help them. I'll tell you a sad story. So I am a Gartner analyst. I'm talking to a CIO and he just hired a PMO manager. Mm -hmm. And something he said to me didn't sound right to me. It was a woman. And I said, let's stop this conversation right now. And I'm going to ask you a question. You've got to give me a hundred percent honest answer. If I told you you needed to carve off a third of your organization down and report it into that woman, would you do that? And he said on the phone, report people to her. Oh, wow. And I said, what did you hire? And he said, oh, my God, Donna, I was so stupid. I'll go fix it. I'm mm -hmm. afraid I probably cost her her job. But I said, if she cannot manage lead people, right. she cannot do the job. And you're complaining to me that she's a clerk. Yeah. Well, damn it, you hired a clerk. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important because I think that you probably saved her a lot of frustration and headache and a lot of battle and stress and anxiety over time. Right. Because his expectations and her performance would have been out of alignment. And that's why he was complaining to you in the first place, it sounds yeah. like. So you just cut it off earlier than it would have happened. And I've seen that happen with people that are in the wrong roles, whether it's PMO or otherwise. When you see people that are in the wrong roles, it's physically painful for everybody involved, emotionally, mentally, physically just super stressful. So hopefully that person was able to figure out like what to do differently or how to get into the right role. But that's the problem is that there's a lot of people that are in these roles and maybe somebody's going to think, well, maybe I'm not in the right role <laughs> after the listening to those podcasts. And that might be true. 
because not everybody is cut out for where project management is going. And the interesting thing is, as I say that, I'm realizing this is actually always the way project management, good project management has been. It's the troublemakers. It's not to where it's going. It's where it's been. But maybe what's changing is the patience executives have to wait it out until somebody figures it out. It's costing too much money. Yeah. At one point, when I was starting and running Intel's big IT project, my sponsor was the CFO. My sponsor talked to me, checked on me, knew that he had to know what was going on. I was a kid, but it didn't matter. He knew to the depths of his soul that I had the right gut instincts. And all he had to do was make sure that I felt he was supporting me. And he did. I then worked for him as uh, Intel's first IT controller. I had his support. And he gave me as much rope as I wanted to go. But if I was going to do something stupid, and I learned to manage from that man. And that's what he taught me. You get good people. You let them run as fast as they can. And when they get close to the cliff, then and only then you put a lasso around them and pull back. That is so funny because that's exactly what I was trying to say when I did this debate with Crystal at the UMB conference was a principles first approach is about putting guardrails up to protect people, to keep them from hurting themselves or others but give them the freedom to go and go quickly, right? The guardrails on the highways give us the safety we need to go fast on those highways and keeps us within the boundaries, but lets us fly, right? And that's the difference between a process-first approach and a principles-first approach that I was arguing at this conference was people just need guardrails, but they need the freedom and the support to fly and go as fast as they can. What they also need, I had a guy, so I I actually managed software development, if you can believe that. Me too, me too, I did too. <laughs> um, and one of my managers was what you would call a negative net. Yeah. He could always see what was wrong. And we worked out something because he was actually very helpful mm-hmm. because sometimes he was too negative and we had it where I just kick him under the table if we're talking to clients but I always respected I always had him finish his sentences with me I always had him tell me what he was worried about because there was probably a 45 percent possibility he was right mm-hmm. he had something I couldn't see what he could see because I'm up a level Mm -hmm. wheeling and dealing and Mm -hmm. he's down at code and day-to-day people work so I'm not just saying that the future of project management is high flyers like us right we are nothing without our people right and I want to emphasize that and emphasize that and emphasize that it is the team. It is all of us working together, bringing our strength, 
bringing our competencies and making sure we take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we've not lost some of that in this process because it's all relationship focused. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge though, is that because things got so process heavy that people fell in love with that or felt safety or comfort in that and mistook that for guardrails. And so they just went too far. And now we are at the point of a next step in our evolution where we have to pull back from that some and really help the people in our organization create the change even faster than they've been able to do it so far because our very future depends on it. We can do it. We can teach critical thinking. We can teach systems thinking. The other thing I want to make sure we hit on here, and I do take my responsibility seriously, mentors have to mentor. Yeah. This is nothing anybody is born knowing. You may be born with wiring and ability, but mentors are there to share their stories, their experience, what helped them learn. And without that, we're not, I hate to say it, but really business should be one big family. Yeah. Because that's what, Human beings, and I know there's all sorts of political stuff going on, but we are tribal. And saying tribal is not necessarily exclusionary. Right. It's just a normal human biological response, which says, I work for a company. This is my tribe. Now, we've got issues with management not respecting that their people are the ones who do the work and put the money in their pockets. Right. But that's another story. We still need to say we need people. People are creative. You never know who's going to say the most brilliant thing in the world. We Mm. need to take initiative whenever we get the opportunity to do it. And that says a lot of people thinking for themselves, testing. You've got to think. Another thing I want to say, my advice is learn how to mind map. Mind map is something everybody should do as often as possible to teach their brain to do constellation thinking. Oh, interesting. Well, definitely, I don't know. I feel like we need another episode just on that. (laughs) It's really, really important because if you want the skill you need, and I'm not trying to say a linear thinker, I will never be a good linear thinker. Mm. But I can do linear thinking. I have to. Accounting's a very linear. Right, right. (laughs) While I do linear thinking to survive, they need to do mind mapping. And it's drawing those little circles and saying, how does this connect to that? Mm -hmm. Is that a negative connection? A positive connection? Are there risks? Because is there, and this is what you're looking for. Mm. Oh my God, there's a third dot further out Mm. and once you realize that that's what you're doing you're looking for the missing dot ah I love it I love it and is that the critical thinking skill set that the future project management is really going to depend on yes absolutely (laughs) because that's how we get to innovation right not just managing innovation projects but being innovative in and of ourselves 
as we're driving change in the organization. And my belief is that all the stress, now I'd like to slap management around a little, but all of the stress, the insecurity is because people have not figured out who they are, what they bring to the party that is really valuable. So when I could look at somebody and say, you hired me because I'm an expert. And if I don't know, I will figure it out. I'm not talking expertise, which is I learned it. I'm talking expertise as in I will figure it out or I will die trying. That gives you a sense of self. That right. gives you a sense of day-to-day -day security. Because you're not as vulnerable because you have the skills and you have the people mm -hmm. who like you, support you, will work with you to figure it out. That's what human beings want. It really is. And I think that this is what project managers need to understand as the strength, the leadership capability that others on their team are looking for them to help them through, right? Well, I will tell you once, we know I've always had health problems, but when I was working at Sun, I got very sick. And one of my employees came in and said, I'm sorry, Donna you are not Donna anymore. You need to go out on medical leave, babe, because I took this job because you're the meanest, toughest cat in the jungle and I can't do my job without you flying cover. Yeah. And you can barely get through your day. Yeah, so go get better. Mm -hmm. And I cried mm -hmm. and I took medical leave the next day. Mm. And I bless her for saying it. It was hard, hard words. But mm -hmm. she was telling me the absolute truth. My job was to give her cover so she could spread her wings. Yeah. And that's that's not something AI is going to automate. It'll that's never not automate it. Never, ever, ever. Right. And that's where our power and our strength is. And that's why at the impact summit, we have so much on strategic thinking and leadership and coaching and all of those other topics, because that is where our community has a real opportunity to thrive. And those skill sets, those strengths are the things that the executives notice because those are the underlying strengths people need to have to get things done. And those are the underlying strengths that people need to have to do the impossible. And that's really what a lot of this is about, is learning how to make the impossible possible. And every day, I know that there are project managers all over the world looking at what's in front of them and wondering how in the world that's going to happen. And I think the magic is in what we've been talking about today, in the critical thinking skills, in leadership, in mentoring, in being that impact driver that's really responsible for bringing people through change. People are looking for that. Not everybody has it, but I believe that those that are going to really thrive in the future will have it, do have it, and must have it to be successful. One last note. The term is passed out of vogue. It used to be called a skunk works. A what? A skunk works. Skunk works, yes. Any group of people can 
come together to achieve an objective with very little overhead as long as they know how to function as, as long as they bring their expertise mm -hmm. they know how to talk to each other they know to keep their eyes open in case of one of their coworkers being in trouble so they can pick up a ball if it needs to mm -hmm. and everybody keeps the forward momentum now a skunk works was always a group of the best of the best. So there wasn't a lot of babysitting or anything. But why can't we all aspire to work at that level? Mm -hmm. I've met so many brilliant, talented people in my career. I don't really think there is a shortage. Yeah. I just want everybody to know who they are and come forward and say, this is my unique contribution. This is my knowledge. And by the way, it sounds like we're criticizing administrative work. The worst thing that ever happened was getting rid of secretaries. They were the most brilliant, talented people who did everything in the world. Oh my gosh. And they kept us all together. And we were able to do work because they did things. So I'm not saying administrative work or coordination work is not incredibly valuable but it's all in the context of a productive team. Mm. That's a really important point. Well, some things I think will go away. They'll be automated. They're streamlined. I mean, a lot of the, the things human that- The touch won't be. But the human touch won't be. Exactly right. So on that note, Donna, what is your parting wisdom for anyone listening to this saying, okay, you've just totally changed my role and how I think about my role, what is your advice to them now? What do they do? What's the one thing they can go do now to better prepare themselves for the future? Sit down, take a deep breath and say, what do I do uniquely as an individual that brings value? Mm. That I, the ego, the internal, brings value and how can I learn to offer more of it to the world and once you do that you're present you're fully accounted for you will always do well I mean we all know layoffs happen this happens that happens politics happens but fundamentally when you turn up that light inside mm -hmm. everyone's going to see it yeah so good. So good, Donna. Thank you so very much. All right, Impact Drivers, you've heard it. You need to just sit down, take a deep breath and just really define what has you at your best. And once you see that, you'll know how to contribute to the organization. You'll know the places that you can bring the most value and you'll know how to mentor and guide and lead others through change using those strengths. So Donna, thank you so much for thank being you. here today. I'm so grateful for you. We are really looking forward to having you as interviewer at the summit and all the great sessions that you're going to be able to do to talk to other experts in this space and practitioners about what their success looks like and the best advice they have for all the impact drivers coming to the impact summit this year. So I'm really excited to highlight and honor you in that way. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Laura. 
Absolutely. All right, Impact Driver, that's it for this session. If you have not registered for the Impact Summit yet, go do it right now because there are going to be specials and goodies and things that only people registered now in advance are going to have access to as we lead into the months before the Impact Summit. Just go to impactsummit.global and register for free today. I can't wait to see you there. Bye-bye for now.